What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm excited to get into today's show because last time, or maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we chatted about the top 10, if you want to say, or the 10 exercises I tend to use um, a lot with clients and kind of want to go over some of them specifically. So if you haven't watched or listened to that first episode, I think it's episode 517. So maybe go uh, watch that first before you watch this one or listen to this one because then it'll kind of give you more backstory. But uh, to kind of do a little overview, I shared my top 10 exercises I do with every single client and I explain why they're so important. And this episode is going to be kind of a part two and we'll see how far I can get into it. And we're going to go into the specific exercises and their variations because a lot of times when, you know, I program for somebody, if I create a training program for a specific individual, they may have, you know, certain things that, you know, say based off their hip anatomy, it, they can't move their leg this certain way. So maybe this exercise, this particular variation might not be the best thing for them. So a lot of times we have to, you know, adjust on the fly or, someone's low back flared up and the core exercises I chose for their program might not be the best thing. And then I have to quickly think like, okay, what else can I, you know, put in this person's program? So we're going to go look in depth to variations and some other things that can help many of you and your clients. If you are a trainer listening to this, um, break through any kind of, you know, issue when it comes to flare-ups or um, anatomy issues and things like that. And I think this is going to be good. So what we're going to do first is screen share. Here we go. All right. Close that up. All right. I'm going to make myself a little bit bigger. So if I can remember correctly, what we went over last time is my number one thing, well, not number one, this is not in any kind of particular order, but um, the first exercise that I recommended on my list was the dead bug. But again, there's so many dead bug variations out there. And if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, highly recommend you do that right now or after this episode. So depending on the person, where they're at with everything, um, it will determine what kind of dead bug. So the one that we showed in the first episode was a yoga block squeeze where you have the yoga block in between one forearm and the opposite leg. So then they can crush the block and have some sort of element of, you know, irradiation and they can feel what they're supposed to feel. Cause a lot of times when people do dead bugs, they kind of just flop through the motion and they don't really get anything out of it. So there are a couple variations that I really, really, really like. And one of them, if I can find it 
is a ban resistant dead bug. Here we go. All right. So first off, I'm gonna move myself here. So you can see that I just placed a simple like super ban, a red ban, uh, around the peg of the squat rack and taking that tension into this position here is creating tension in the torso in all that core musculature as I do the dead bug. This is another amazing exercise for someone who needs to feel what they're supposed to feel. And I like finding exercises that the moment I give a particular exercise, like this one in this case, where the client feels it right away, they're like, holy shit, that's really hard. Then I know that they're activating things right. And there's this almost a zero chance of them, you know, feeling their low back or anything like that. So really simple. There's no arm movement. It's just the legs going back and forth. Really simple. And most people have bands. So even if they're working out from home, if you're working out from home, highly recommend that you do this variation to challenge your core. So if we were kind of creating a line of progression, um, I would emphasize focusing on the regular dead bug with the yoga block, then going to this band resisted version. And then if I wanted to get a little bit more fancy, um, another exercise I really like is the dead bug pullover with a kettlebell. Now, in this variation, we have a kettlebell up here. Every time I extend the leg, my arms also go overhead. Now, at this point, all of this core musculature has to fight off two lever lengths. And on top of that, a lever with an offset weight. I mean, you could do this with a dumbbell, 100% you could, but with the kettlebell and, you know, I did a whole episode on the benefits of, you know, kettlebells and things like that. Um, the benefit, the added bonus, I, I should say, with the kettlebells because it's the offset load and it's not evenly distributed like a dumbbell in almost becomes an extension of your body. So now the lever length is even longer and now you have to work that much harder. So I find always that the kettlebell pullover really supercharges this exercise. And, you know, I like to have the bell portion at the bottom and not the other end. Cause again, it will make it a little bit easier because now the weight is pulling me further this way. And I also find that it feels a little bit better on the elbows when you reach back. But one of my go-tos for a lot of clients that are beginning to progress. And again, it's another one that you feel right away. And there you go. Look at that right here. If you're watching this video, then you should definitely watch the 10 exercises everyone should be doing. So it's episode 519, not 517. I don't know why I said that. And it's a long one. Like I was kind of surprised how long it took me to record all that it was 42 minutes. So again, today, hopefully it's not gonna be, you know, 42 minutes. I'm gonna to try to keep it to 25, 30 at, at most, but it's definitely worth it. Okay, so after this, what we're going to do is another progression. And this one for sure 
And also, if you need help with any of these, like if you look at my tutorials um, on my website, there are so many. Not website, uh, YouTube channel. There's so many. I even have a playlist. So if you like go to playlists on my channel, they're all there. And sometimes you can like, sometimes even for me when I'm on like the go and I'm on my phone and I see someone like messaged me on Instagram and they're like, Hey, you mentioned this exercise. How do you do it? Like I'll literally go into YouTube um, app and just search like kettlebell pullover tutorial, like this one right here. Um, and then put my name and it pops up right away. So if you ever need like any specific like, how do I do this exercise properly? Just search it up and it'll pop up. Um, the other variation that I really like using to challenge um, my clients. Oh, I guess it was spelled with. See, this is the thing. Sometimes I spell the dead bug with no space. Oh, where did it go? I swear I had it. Sorry, guys. There you go. So this one in particular is definitely challenging. It's just the very nature. So in this variation, I have a pullover with the cable machine with the rope attachment. So I first extend the leg, just like so. And then I go into a pullover. You can turn this into just like the kettlebell pullover to make it even more challenging. But here you can definitely load quite a bit. And I also like using these handles, well, like the rope attachment, because it kind of gives a variable resistance where your shoulders even have to stabilize. And this just ends up creating a really, really challenging exercise. Like, I remember like when I'll go through even my own programming and I'll throw this in the next like two days, I'm sore, which is ridiculous, but uh, definitely worth um, going down the rabbit hole of setting yourself up on this. It's kind of awkward to get in because in order for you to do a full pullover, um, you have to be kind of far away from the cable machine. And, you know, you basically have to like lay down and then shimmy yourself down with the with the rope attachment and then you can do the pull very easily, but definitely, definitely really challenging. Um, and again, see who would have thought that uh, dead bugs would be on the list of hard exercises for your core. Um, this is another variation. I don't use it that often, but it's one that I really like because it also works on a little bit of rotary stability, kind of like the bird dog. So one, it's kind of, challenging to get into this position with um two kettlebells and look how white my legs are in this <laughs> anyway um so you kind of have to like roll over to grab one and then have it close to your uh, your chest and then grab and roll to the other one but anyway essentially every time you extend one arm goes down and this becomes a really like full body core exercise that challenges a lot but it's definitely worth putting into programming when, you know, people start to find certain um, dead bugs too easy. And uh, 
just another variation. Another one that I find also challenging, and hopefully I can find it quickly, here we go, is the single arm version. So in this particular one, and I don't know why it's showing it like this, but um, I just have the opposite hand and leg going. And I find that with the single arm version, as this is going down, it's trying to roll me over. So I have to really contract my core to make sure I don't roll over. And highly recommend doing these different variations for the dead bug in general. Now, I think I shared just like six different variations of the dead bug. And again, there's so many other ones out there, but these are the typical ones that I go through. But if I just wrote out my like core section template that I have, there's so many different core exercises other than the dead bug that I use that like the list is endless, you know? And then as clients progress, um, there's so many more variations and opportunities to, you know, put into someone's program. So you can only go through so much. So I kind of always keep my, you know, I call them like my simple six exercise variations for like a certain one. So in the 10 that I use, there's probably six variations of each. So each person that I train will end up going through like 60 different exercises. So it's kind of like a, a misdirection of programming when I say these are my 10 exercises that I use. In reality, it's really, you know, 60 that I use. 10 are kind of like, here's 10 doors. And each time we open it, it's another set of doors that we're going to go through. Okay, like as you go through each door, there's so many other doors that we're going to go through. Um, with different variations of exercises. So, um, so don't think I only use like 10 exercises for people, but, um, we're going to move on cause you know, we can talk about dead bugs forever and we're going to move on to the bird dog. So last time I showed, um, the isometric bird dog where we hold it. And one of the bird dogs that I've also used in the past is I kind of called this a bird dog with tension. And I find that when people do this, they feel it a lot. So what I do here, one, I have a fist that I'm constantly squeezing to create tension. As I kick back, I'm also driving my elbow up towards the ceiling to engage all of this stuff. And then I, then I kind of punch forward and then again hold and I'm constantly driving this heel as hard as possible into uh, the back as much as possible so you can create that tension again rather than just flapping back and forth arm and leg um, I find that this variation tends to work quite well and again on face value it doesn't look that challenging but in practice it's definitely going um, to challenge the entire body as one unit. Now, you know, this is a little bit better angle where I'm pushing, extending, coming back and back down. And the more I squeeze my fist and the more I kick my heel out, the better it's going to be, right? There we go. So we're going to move on to another bird dog variation I like. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the stationary row is another favorite of mine that I use quite a bit with clients. So in this, I'm kind of straddling the um, bench. And again, it looks quite advanced, but when you get into the position and you kind of find you know, your sweet spot of where this hand is, where this knee is, and where this toe is, you kind of stabilize yourself quite well. And then just keeping this leg out extended back kind of prevents you from kind of wobbling too much. And then the only thing that's moving is the arm rowing the kettlebell or dumbbell. And I like this because it's one of those exercises that if I go too fast, then that's where I'm going to feel like I'm going to fall over. And you can all already see, like I'm kind of going a little bit too fast in this video, but when I pull, you can actually see this toe back here um, move, trying to counterbalance it, right? So you can even see it. Again, great variation. Um, another one that I use so much with clients is a bird dog cable row. So again, in this video, it's not a cable, it's just a band that I use. But again, another variation that you can use at home so easily if you have a little pillar somewhere. And every time I pull, I kick. So kind of similar to the other one where, but this is more of like a horizontal over, kind of almost a vertical pull. If you think about it, you're just on your hands and knees. As the other one is a um, horizontal row. So just a little bit different, but still serves the same purpose. And again, use this a lot with clients. Now, another variation of the bird dog row that I like using, uh, where is it? Where I had it. Here you go. The bird dog row. This is similar to the one with the bench. So in this one, you can see that every time I row, I also kick out with my leg, right? I would say it's a little bit more advanced than, you know, the other one I had with the leg just stationary, but it's definitely a challenging bird dog variation. And again, bird dogs are great for low back stability, core stability, and just that cross diagonal pattern that a lot of us are not good at. Um, so that's kind of all the bird dogs I tend to use. Um, what we're going to look at next is deadlift. So I believe in the video, we kind of covered the dead bug first and then the bird dog, dead bug, bird dog. Yep. And then we did carries. And again, I'm not going to go through carries in this video because I already did a whole episode on carries itself and the benefits, the variation. So you can also go check that out. Um, but we're going to go into deadlift. So in um, the deadlift portion, I always start with a hip hinge. So a lot of times when I try to teach someone how to deadlift, I'm not giving them weight right away. Most people have no idea how to hinge at their hips. They just kind of flex with their spine or they turn the thing into a squat. So learning how to hinge first is kind of the go-to for a lot of my um, clients. 
There we go. So I tend to do a dowel deadlift with a lot of my clients. So in this case, I have a band to kind of, again, get myself and my clients feeling it. So I've attached a band to this little pole and it's right against this dowel. So I get into the deadlift position and then come back up and I'm forced to constantly engage my lats, my shoulders by pulling it in. And that kind of gives that feedback to a client that, you know, in order to deadlift, I need to stay tight because the biggest mistake I see a lot is when people go to deadlift or pick something up heavy, they're kind of like loosey goosey and, you know, they're not activating the things they want. And then they're like, Oh, I don't know why my low back hurts every time, every time I deadlift. So with this, I have a really high payoff because it's creating that tension internally. And then their body has to react by resisting it. So if they didn't have any tension, this dowel will just kind of move forward over here and it's going to be all, it won't feel like a deadlift. And because I have this dowel, I always kind of cue that if you slide it down the legs and push your bum back, or like, you know, think of pushing your bum back towards a chair that's too far away or touching a wall or anything like that, they kind of clue in really quick. And Honestly, I've had people who have never worked out in their life and I give them this variation. They pick up the hinge pattern so much faster than just like trying to teach them the hinge without any other, you know, apparatus or any other uh, feedback tool. Um, and I've kind of been using this a lot with people to get them learning how to use their hips and not their low back when it comes to deadlifting. Now, from there what I like to do is then load it with a kettlebell or a dumbbell. Um, and I usually will do a dumbbell sumo uh, deadlift. And there's a couple reasons why. So one of the biggest reasons why I go into this kind of sumo position is one, a lot of people don't have the hip mobility to do a conventional deadlift that requires a lot of adequate hip flexion and most people don't have enough to keep that lumbar spine neutral and flat so if you think of anatomy if their um, hips get stuck at a certain position in hip flexion lumbar spine will go into flexion to give you more hip mobility um, and then that just wreaks havoc over time i also like using a dumbbell in this case because one it's a little bit easier in a sense that it's already kind of elevated because that's another key thing that a lot of people do is they deadlift off the floor when they might not have the mobility and stability requirements to do so. So by putting this dumbbell upright, it's a little bit higher um, than your traditional, say, barbell down that's um, on the ground if you're deadlifting. Um, and then with the sumo, you're able to reach down a little bit lower. So you already have a biomechanical advantage. And then it becomes a really easy thing for um, clients and just people in general to deadlift and pick it up. And again, like most gyms, their dumbbells go up to like a hundred pounds. So if you're starting out, like that's pretty good. And even if you are intermediate to advanced, grab a hundred pound dumbbell and do 15, 15 to 20 sumo squats. Like not squats, um, deadlifts, like you're going to feel that. Like I would feel that because again, like when was the last time I have ever done that? And that would be a huge stimulus for my body to adapt and grow from. Right. So something like this is bulletproof when it comes to teaching and loading people for the first time. Like I absolutely love 
this um, exercise and this position for most people. Um, so usually when I go from there, um, I really like getting to the trap bar deadlift. So the trap bar itself, a lot of people will make the joke that it's cheating. Um, I don't think so. Honestly, I think just loading a trap bar. And again, in this case, I'm also doing isometric hold at the top, but I'm going to try to pause it at the bottom. Here we go. So at the bottom, like you can already see that. How can I explain this? The trap bar is literally the easiest way of teaching someone how to deadlift because they don't have to worry about where their knees have to go. And again, the trap bar will allow you more knee flexion. The key here is to ensure that you're not, you know, changing this into a squat, but you are still thinking of pushing your hips back. Having a little bit more knee flexion, I'm not worried about it, but at the end of the workout, you feel your quads from the trap bar, then it's probably not the best thing. But um, just a little bit of knee flexion, that's, that's fine. But every single person that I get to this point where, you know, they learn how to hinge, we loaded it in a sumo uh, deadlift with either a dumbbell or a kettlebell, and when I get them to the trap bar and I tell them, get into the middle of the trap bar, reach down for the bar, squeeze tight and drive up, it like something in their brain just clicks and they know exactly what to do. And they know how to brace already because we've kind of gone through all those dead, dead bug variations, those bird dog variations. They understand how to stabilize in a dynamic movement pattern where it requires rotary stability. At this point, they're ready to go. So with the trap bar, it just comes naturally. And then this is where we get to explore, like let's get into heavy loads. Let's see what our body can do when we place it under load. And it's very, very simple to do this. Like such a great exercise to develop full body strength. Now, from here, we'll go into things like, you know, the barbell deadlift, the sumo barbell deadlift, elevated deadlifts. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop at deadlifting because I still want to kind of continue and maybe do part two, uh, part three, part four of this. But something I will say about deadlifts is that everyone has this weird idea that they have to deadlift off the floor to make it count or, you know, be cool. I, don't, I, I just don't understand that. Like if I asked you or asked any trainer, like, why are you getting your client to deadlift off the floor? Or why are you deadlifting off the floor? And this would be a person who either is hitting a plateau or gets sore from their uh, deadlifts from their low back, or, you know, it just doesn't ever feel right, but they're still like hammering that square peg in a round hole. I'll ask, those two scenarios, client or, you know, trainer with a client or person at the gym trying to deadlift, why are you doing that exercise? Most of the time they'll say, I don't know. Or they're saying, well, I'm trying to get stronger hamstrings and glutes. Great. My next question goes, are you going to be competing in powerlifting? They usually say no. And I'm like, you don't have to deadlift off the floor. If we elevate your deadlift, by four inches, six inches, eight inches, I don't care what it is, you're still going to get the benefit of the deadlift. It doesn't make it any less. It makes it easier because you don't have to travel as far, but usually when you elevate the deadlift, your mobility restrictions, stability restrictions, 
previous low back injuries, hip injuries, whatever it may be, that kind of just simmers away. And then you can actually get good at that lift. So if the goal is to make your glutes and hamstrings stronger, then why not elevate it? I always make the argument that your nervous system, that is the protector of your entire body, probably doesn't know the difference between going four inches lower or higher. It understands it understands force and load. So if we're going by that concept, then my body will adapt and get stronger, build muscle, whatever it is, to force and load. So it doesn't really matter where that force and load is coming from at what depths. Usually when I do this with people that have been lifting for years that have been hurting themselves, they, huge, they see huge spikes of um, strength. They get leaner, body starts feeling better, and then other lifts improve as well just by elevating it because now they're working within their capacity and they can improve on that capacity. So I think I'm going to leave it there because that was a lot. And there's so much more that we can get into. But um, thank you for listening and watching hit the subscribe button on my YouTube channel. Um, Add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. Watch out for part three to this so I can continue going through all this. I know this is a lot of information, but lots of different dead bug variations, lots of different bird dog variations, a lot of different deadlift variations. We'll probably do a little bit more in the next episode on deadlifting itself. And we're also going to... Uh, I'm also going to recommend that you should watch the farmer carry one. So that's a very specific one where I go into the benefits and all the different variations. So that's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Let's stop the screen share and until next time.